This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 23, which you can find on page 6 of your bulletin or on the screen. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom your followers drive them out, so then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. This is the word of God. Now we are continuing in our series on the hard sayings of Jesus. In the Gospels, There are numerous teachings from Jesus Christ, and I would say that it doesn't matter if this is your first time here or if you've been attending the local church for 10 years. His teachings, no matter what, are extremely difficult to grasp. I'm not saying this in a way of just sheer intellect. I'm actually talking about something much deeper. deeper. What makes it so difficult, what makes his teaching so difficult to grasp is that they are hard truths to swallow, that these truths that you hear from God's word should be challenging and encouraging to all of us in many ways because it's challenging the things that we desire the most. And in today's passage is one of those hard sayings that should both challenge and encourage. Uh, Every time I feel like I'm going through one of these sayings, it's personally challenging and encouraging me as well. And the question uh, we want to ask, and the, 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 the verse that we're referring to in terms of this hard saying is, what does Jesus really mean when he says that a house divided against itself will fall? See, when you hear this, it probably leads to some of us uh, with some assumptions on what this passage is about. Uh, For some of us, you're probably thinking uh, that Jesus is, you know, maybe talking about uh, relational integrity. That when Jesus says a house divided against itself will fall, well, he's, he's talking about the family. He's talking about the household and how we need to be a better family and household. For some of us, as you you reflect on this verse and this saying, uh, you may even be thinking that this is pertaining to uh, faith and uh, how it intersects intersects with politics, right? Even uh, Abraham Lincoln, he actually derived one of his most uh, famous speeches regarding the issue of slavery on this verse alone. For some of us, you're thinking that this is all about, you know, Christian ethics, You know, how believers aren't meant to be divided in values and how you and I, we need to be better Christians in this world. 
And you know, some of these assumptions are you know, pretty applicable, and they might not be you know, false, but what we're going to see is that this passage is essentially talking about something far greater, and what he is talking about is the power of the gospel and how the gospel causes us to radical change. So I have three points for our time today. First, our need for change. Secondly, our hope for change. And finally, the power for change. Our need, our hope, and the power. Let's dive right in our first point, our need. Look at verse 14 with me. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. Now, Jesus Christ is in his public ministry, and right now we see that he's performing a healing miracle in front of the crowds. Now, this was a significant moment in his ministry. We know this because we see this in the Synoptic Gospels. We see this in the book of Matthew, the book of Mark, and the book of Luke. But what I want to highlight that is significant, not necessarily because of the act in itself, but what he is actually trying to convey to the crowds. See, whenever there is a miracle or a healing in the Gospels, and then whenever we see this account of Jesus, the emphasis is never the miracle in itself. Don't get me wrong, that's highly significant. But what is important to know is that there is always a teaching that follows the, the, the event. There's always a, a meaningful purpose on why he did perform these miracles and acts. And it primarily goes into the uh, following of, well, Jesus is trying to pro- let you know that he is God. And secondly, this should shape you. This is why the crowds, when they ask for uh, signs in verse 16, Jesus doesn't submit to their demands. He doesn't give them another miracle. But in verse 16, he says, I'm not going to submit to what you're asking, but I'm going to make this a lesson about you. So the purpose of this passage, just to immediately highlight, is this is not to just specifically talk about demon possession and miraculous events. This goes so much deeper. What Jesus is addressing is something far greater than just physical healing. What he is trying to do right now is he is trying to address our spiritual condition. Now, hear me, I I don't want to sound reductionistic in many ways. Uh, God cares about us as wholes. He, He cares about our physical. He cares about our emotional And we should come to him uh, for those things when we need help and healing. Don't get me wrong, but what he is ultimately saying and what he's ultimately focusing on is our hearts. He's honing in on our spiritual condition. Now, how do I know this? Well, if you fast forward to me with uh, me in verses 24 through 26, it's not on your bulletin, but I'll, I'll read it for you guys. Jesus is addressing more than the physical. He's talking about the spiritual. Look at verse 24. He says, when an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept, clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. Jesus in this passage is specifically referring to our deep 
spiritual need. A few observations when I look at this. Number one, when you see verse 24, it says that if the love of God does not consume us, then something outside of God will. Secondly, if you look at verse 26, it says the thing outside of God, if it consumes us, it will only worsen your condition. And that's what Jesus is addressing to the crowds right now. His biggest concern is far greater than you could probably imagine. The biggest concern that he has for your life right now, like at this moment, if you are here in this building or if you are watching on the live stream, his biggest concern for you is your spiritual condition. Because he knows that there are things in our lives that possess us. There are things in our lives, just like we see in verse 14, are things that possess us and it consumes us and it possesses us and it consumes us more than we would even ever like to admit. You know, the phrase that uh, Christian uh, author Tim Keller uh, says, is he, he defines this as an idol. It's something that, you know, we hear often if you've been part of the church. Uh, you're going to hear this often. It's the word idol. And Tim Keller, he defines this really well, and I want to read this for us. Tim Keller says, an idol is anything more important to you than God, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek to give you what only God can give. In other words... There is always one thing or many things in your life that you place as an utmost priority. And because you place this as a primary utmost priority, you're looking at this one thing as the main thing. You're looking at this one thing as the thing that you're seeking for all of your worth and all of your value. So what does it do? It possesses you. Now, I don't have all the time in the world. If I, had, if I did, I would kind of talk about and label out all of the idols that could possibly really exist in our lives because the reality is when we talk about idols, that list is actually wide and countless. But just for our time, if I had to put uh, idols in kind of like subcategories, uh, typically it's usually success, love, relationships, security, But no matter what you identify with, the results are always the same. And it's a condition far worse than you can imagine. Why? It's these idols that possess you. It's these idols that control you. The idea of having this idol consumes you, and the idea of not having it will absolutely ruin you. It worsens your condition. You're always dissatisfied because you always want a little bit more of it. You're always more fatigued and tired because you work so hard to achieve it and to keep it. You're always jealous and envious when you see others with it and you don't. See, the reality is is that you and I were all possessed by something. Oh, I wish I could tell you how possessed I am by my own idols and the things that I worship outside of God. You and I, we're all possessed by something. And the question for us is, well, what possesses you? What mutes you? 
What blinds you from what God has already promised in his word? See, Jesus has come down for this very purpose. The purpose and the reason for Jesus' life and his ministry is to change us from this spiritual enslavement to these things that were never meant to fulfill you so that you can, in him, experience a greater identity, a greater confidence, and a greater joy because all of your worth and your value is something that is everlasting and ever, and ever so good. And he comes down because he wants to do this for you and I. He does this for you and I because he knows that we can't do it ourselves. And that is uh, the, the great reality, friends, is that we can't do it ourselves. When we talk about our idols and when we talk about, oh, I want to change from the things that consume me. I, I don't, I don't want to be possessed no more, Brian. The, the, the most difficult part about this reality of our idols and its possession is that we can't do anything on our own to actually change it. All of those methods, all of those practices, all of that good advice that you're hearing, none of this can change a heart that idolizes. Well, what can? This leads us to our second point, our hope for change. Look at verse 17 and 18 with me. Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, well, how can this kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. What Jesus is now doing is he's addressing the crowds that's uh, actually uh, uh, saying that he's driving out demons by Beelzebub. And what Jesus is essentially saying is like, that is absolutely absurd. Your, your statement, your, that this, this idea that I, I'm driving out demons by your people is absolutely whack. See, Jesus, what he then begins to say is, he begins to argue to the Pharisees very logically. What does he say? He says, it can't be the case because a kingdom, when it's cross-purposed within itself, it always falls. He's saying, whenever you see a household uh, kind of like driven by fights and, um, and inside brokenness, it's always going to tear itself apart. Like if Jesus was on the same team as Satan, why would Satan cast himself out? So he's saying, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. That's why in verse 19, he continues, he says, now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. See, I want to highlight this just for a little bit because what Jesus is doing, he's saying something very, very, very nuanced. He's saying that during this time, there are many people that delivered people out of possession. You know, in fact, when you look at historically, Pharisees themselves, they were historically known to produce deliverance themselves. And when Jesus Christ says in verse 18 and 19, he's actually acknowledging, no, look, um, I'm not doing, you know, like, we're, we're, we're separate. We're on different teams. But I am also acknowledging that this team also has the power to do the things that uh, I can do in many ways, right? So what is Jesus essentially trying to say in this passage? What's his main point? He's essentially saying that 
that, that, that there are many religions and philosophies that kind of talk about how to change and how to help you with problems. There are sources of power and philosophies and religions all throughout. I mean, the reality is there are multiple ways to change, but what Jesus is essentially saying is, where are you getting it from? What are you trusting in? What do you look towards to? And in the same way, when you, where do you run towards for ultimate help? And what Jesus is saying, when you look for other things, when you look for help elsewhere, that's not me. You end up being like a house that's divided. You know, I think it's really interesting that Jesus refers to, to the devil as essentially being consistent. Ultimately, to say is, believer, why are you so inconsistent? And it's ultimately because of these inconsistencies in our lives, the inconsistencies between what we proclaim and what we actually live by is actually what ruins us. That's what makes this house, you and I, divided. We become kingdoms in ruins, become houses of broken because we're always looking everywhere and everything. There's an inconsistency, and the inconsistency of our lives, we constantly fall and we constantly fail. See, the reason why you and I were unable to truly change is because we're always compromising way too much on who God is within our life with what we actually want for ourselves. In other words, We're like a kingdom divided because there's no unity with what we say believe and what we naturally want. How do I know? How do we know if we're like a house divided? Well, the one question to kind of ask is this, the question that you and I should always ask. You know, when things get difficult, what is the first thing you run towards? You know, is it your addictions? Is it the escapisms? Is it a deep sleep to just forget all that is going on? Or are you leaning into the word of God? Are you seeking him in prayer? Are you seeking him in scripture? I'll add this layer, who do you run to? You know, do you run to just your friends that, you know, give you and tell you all of the things that you want to hear to kind of affirm you and just to coddle you and just to say, yeah, I, I'm definitely tracking with that. Yes, men. Or are you going to people, godly people, that, will, uh, that you can trust because you know that they're speaking truth into you and walking with you and reminding you of God's faithfulness in both faith and repentance? See, you and I, the reality is is we're just like a house divided. We're just like a house divided. We're inconsistent. We're always running to our idols. We're always content with what we're possessed with. We're a house divided. And the thing that Jesus is saying, well, where's our hope? That there is a great hope. Look at verse 20. It tells us, Jesus says, But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. What is Jesus telling us despite our uh, wretched and broken estate of of getting no way out? 
We're already possessed, uh, but in that possession, our hearts are divided. I mean, where does my help come from? I want to change, Brian. I, I want to be different. I want to be, uh, uh, you know, I want to be renewed. But, but where does my help come from? Because I, I can't do it my own. Well, verse 20 tells us that it's Jesus that drives demons out. It's the finger of God that will come upon you, and then the kingdom of God will come upon us. See, what Jesus is ultimately saying is that true transformation must come from the finger of God. What is Jesus saying with the finger of God? What does it represent? It's talking about personal touch to melt the heart of stone. Jesus is talking about a greater love that no one else could provide. He's talking about a greater intimacy that no person in this world can give you. And when you experience this personal touch, this intimacy and love, then you will begin to reshape. Then things will change. Why? Because when Jesus becomes personal to you, it reorients your entire motivational core. When you realize that there is someone that loves you and cares for you so much, would you not respond to him? Think about all the people in our, in our lives. Think about all of the friends, all of the family that you have been doing life with. Are you forced to do it? No, you're, you naturally want to do it. Why? Because the, the love, love and, and the care and t- the intimacy that has been brought over the years and year after year and after year in the same way. And what do you do? You respond in the same way. And that is what Jesus is saying. He says, when I become a personal presence and not just a religious figure in your life, you change because your motivation changes and your core motivation is now to live for him because he has died for you. See, until Jesus Christ himself becomes the main source of your identity, comfort, and joy, until then, You're always going to be a house divided because of what you want outside of God. Without him, you're always going to be spiritually possessed by idols. See, real change, true transformation begins with acknowledging, yes, number one, your condition is far worse than you think. And yes, because your condition is far worse than you think, you are like a house divided. And there is no way out unless you allow someone else to enter into your house. And that leads us to our final point, the power for change. Look at verse 21 and 22 with me. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. Now, biblical scholars have agreed that the strong man in verse 21 is actually alluding to Satan himself. And his house and his possessions are essentially the sphere of Satan's authority. Yet, what do we see in verse 22? Well, in verse 22, it alludes that there needs to be someone that's stronger. Verse 22 reminds us that there needs to be stronger so that that one can overpower all of the strongholds 
in our lives. There needs to be someone that's going to overpower the things that possess us. And what ultimately Jesus is saying, that he is the only one that can take over any of our strongholds. That only he can destroy what is binding you. That in all of our lives, we all have things that possess us. In our lives, we have, th- we have strongholds that always consume us. Well, what will allow us to break free from the strongholds? Well, we're a house divided. It most certainly can be us. Well, then who is? Jesus says it's in himself. How do we notice for us right now as we're, as we're listening to God's word? How do we notice? Because in, later in the book of Luke, we see Jesus Christ not healing a blind man. He's not doing miracles, but what he's doing on the cross is the ultimate miracle, the ultimate healing. Because on the cross, he proves that he was strong enough to endure the ultimate penalty, which is the wrath of God. But look at how he did it. See, Jesus Christ on the cross, he gave up all of his armor. He gave up all of his protection. He gave up all of his comfort. He voluntarily, not forcefully, he voluntarily divided up his own plunder, which is what he actually deserved because he lived a perfect life. He gave it all up so that we could be declared righteous in his eyes and that we can receive the treasures of his kingdom and that we would now have access to the Father. In other words, Christ was divided in every shape and form so that you and I can be united to him. What do we see here is that the strongest, he became the weakest. The most protected became the most vulnerable. The one that possessed all of God's treasures, he gave it up so that you and I can now live in full strength because of the armor of God. We can have the full confidence and assurance and we can swag out with the Holy Spirit because we know that we are protected. And we know we don't have to search for anything of this world that will make us content because we have all of the treasures and the jewels and the riches of God's kingdom. And when you realize that that's what he did for you, You will want to do everything to live for him. Change. That's why in verse 23 he says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, what does Jesus mean by saying this? This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm doing all of these things for you. Look at the cross. But I need you to really consider what this cross is. Because what Jesus is saying in verse 23, he's saying, look, There are a lot of people that kind of agree with maybe what I'm saying, right? Because, you know, people look at Jesus and they'll say, oh, he's a really good teacher. But did Jesus really come down just to be a good teacher? See, what Jesus is saying is, hey, you know, you can believe in that. You know, you can believe me to an extent in terms of some of the things I'm saying. But what Jesus is saying is that's not enough. He's saying that if there's any bit of you that doesn't fully trust in me to the point where you aren't consumed, you're never going to change. In other words, if you really seek change from your old ways, if you want to be less possessed, you need to be possessed by something else. 
right? Now, I know that sounds weird, right? And this is not like me pertaining to like spooky season. But, but what I'm trying to say is, you know, not to be possessed by something, well, you need to be possessed by something else. I'll say it in a different way. If you want to be less possessed by something, you need to be controlled by someone else. If you want to be less possessed by someone, if you want to be less divided, well, you need to be overwhelmed and you need to be united by my word. See, that you'll be more consumed, more controlled, and filled by the gospel rather than possessed, manipulated, and enslaved to what we idolize. What it means to be a Christian is to be possessed and to be controlled by him and nothing else. See, the gospel reminds us that our call to change has nothing to do with working for our acceptance and achieving to obtain his love. See, the gospel reminds us that it's because we are accepted, because we are loved, it gives you a whole new motivational core to change. That, my friends, is my hope and my prayer for all of us. What's the point if we just come to church every Sunday and we try to do good things and we try to do religious things and so forth and all of that. I mean, that's, that's cool and all. And, you know, I'm sure it's helpful in some ways, but is that life transforming? Is that transformation for you? Are you moved? Are you convicted by a, a true hope and a true joy that you can only find in the gospel? And that is my hope and my prayer for everyone here right now. This is you watching on the live stream for the very first time, or if you're in this room right now, wherever you are, there is a greater hope and a greater joy in the gospel. And no other idol of this world can do such things. Because what this passage tells us is that it possesses you, and it will divide you from all things that is true. And our only hope our only access is because of Jesus Christ. So let him in. My hope and my prayer is that you will let, in, let him in to your house. You know, when we think about the idea of, you know, letting people into our houses, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, you're not going to just let anyone in. Right? You're not going to give anyone in your know, keys and, you know, some stranger, you say you come right in. But in time, right, on the other side, we know when you get to know someone, right, you become a friend some, with someone and you get really close with that person. You know, if you become more trusting, you know, eventually you'll probably say, well, if you're, if you're trusting, you know, you say, well, here's my access code. Here's my keys. You can come by anytime want, you want. You can sit on my couch. You can eat all of my snacks, whatever you want, right? But what, what, what I mean by that, it takes time, right? There's a, there's a process into that. Uh, but what happens is in time, in, in, in a greater relationship, you let that person into your house because there's a greater trust. And uh, what I'm trying to say is in the same way, my prayer and my hope is that you will begin to let him in. Let him challenge you. Let his words, uh, uh, you know, uh, make you think differently about who you are. And let that give you a greater access, a greater joy, a greater hope. See, without someone saving us from the outside in, 
our hearts will always be divided against itself. And the reality is that you will fall. So let Christ in. And let that be the beginning of true radical change. Would you join me in prayer?